0: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Summit, exploring the big money issues in the world of sports. Carol Messer,
1: we love talking to athletes. We love hearing about where they are in terms of investments.
2: Jason Kelly, the NBA really got out ahead of everybody else when it comes to technology. Michael Barr, you're dealing with a sport with many sponsors
3: and
0: some of the biggest names in the
3: industry.
4: We're in the digital world. We are leaders in that world. A lot of
5: smart players have become good businessmen. The
0: business as a whole is quite strong. The Bloomberg. Bloomberg Business of Sports Summit with Carol Messer, Jason Kelly, and Michael Barr on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Live from Bloomberg World Headquarters in New York City, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports Summit. I'm Carol Messer along with Michael Barr, co host of the Business of Sports and news anchor on Bloomberg Radio. We've got a great view outside our windows. Beautiful day in New York City, but a really amazing view inside here on the 28th floor. And free food. Yeah. And free flute. I got to tell you, anybody who's everybody or everybody who's anybody in sports, they are collecting in this room. Pick your league, right? Whether it's baseball, whether it's football, whether it's lacrosse, whether it's hockey, uh, everybody's here.
3: This is something where be honest where you have so many great business minds that it, you want to pick their brains about the industry the model that they're using and i'm not talking about just all the way up from the new york yankees i'm talking about from startup companies as well
1: yeah exactly and we're going to be talking to them over the next couple of hours jason kelly is going to be joining us too in about an hour
3: we have al Guido, president of the san francisco 49ers and ceo also involved in uh, elevated sports ventures. We were talking off the air about uh, NASCAR. First of all, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. He's got an original, Carol, an original 442 car, not that knockoff stuff from the second. I was just
1: going to say, you guys were talking cars big time before we got (laughs) going. I thought we were going to talk football, but hey, that's okay.
6: (laughs) My father loves cars, and we were talking a little Hendrick Motorsports, and it's a lot of fun. Oh, my
3: goodness. I love all sports. Well, first of all, let's talk about your sport you're involved with the 49ers free agency is ongoing uh your thoughts about it uh, how do you think your team is doing so far
6: i thought we've had a really good week i mean free agency will continue on through the offseason but we added a pass rusher in d ford from yep. the kansas city chiefs uh you know we've added a cornerback to really help our depth there we added a linebacker Quan uh, alexander from the tampa bay buccaneers he's a captain Uh, first class kind of human being really proud to obviously add these guys to our locker room we needed some help on the defensive side and then on the offseason we're getting our quarterback back jimmy garoppolo's coming off an acl tear in week three against the kansas city chiefs so it's good to see him out there throwing in the backyard
1: what about odell beckham i gotta tell you my brothers (laughs) i grew up watching the giants going to the giants games they're so upset that he was traded Rumor is that you guys are pretty interested.
6: Yeah, can't confirm or deny. Obviously, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. he's uh, he's an unbelievable player, uh, generational talent, one of the best receivers in the game, if not you know the best. And uh, he's going to do big things in, in Cleveland. I know the Giants fans are a little upset. Uh, we feel good about the guys we have and the quarterback. We were like you our talking offense. with him? Uh, Well, we can't talk with him, but uh, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, any chance we have an opportunity to add somebody like that or or any other player on the offensive side to our roster, we were able to add a, a running back this year, Tevin Coleman, to our backfield. Anytime we can add top-tier talent to our team, we're going to try to do the best we can. So if you
1: could get him, you would take him.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I lo- I well, like my husband says Darryl. I never give up. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> he, he'd, be a nice, he'd be nice to have, you know. My yeah, let's just say we're happy that he's in the AFC. <laughs> okay. we don't have, although we have to play him this year. That's so, right. what Jerry Jones said. He said, thank <laughs> goodness, he's out of our division. Yeah, we have the Browns on our <laughs> schedule this year. So something tells me it's going to be a little bit tougher of a game. My wife told
3: me, she said, if you don't mention that the 49ers oh. is my favorite, favorite team I you I will not be allowed in the house tonight so Said, I had to done. say that it's Good. done now now speaking as a Detroit Lions fan <laughs> 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 what it, the league itself where do you see where do you see it going in terms of as as we continue on we're, we're coming up on negotiations sure. where do you see the league and and how will it work for the teams
6: i think we came off a really good year i mean i think if you look at the content and the broadcast ratings i think we were 46 out of the top 50 programs watched the college football championship was 47 which was hosted at Levi stadium where i live um i think i think we're at a good place but no doubt the cba is looming and what that might mean to obviously sports obviously all the people in this room today there's some media partners here our rights are coming up so it's good to kind of shake hands and see where we're at but um, I couldn't be you know more more happy or more thrilled with where the league is the competitive balance all the teams that make the playoffs and don't make the playoffs the margin of victory was at kind of at its lowest this year so I feel good about where we're at we got to get back to our winning ways we've had a tough couple years on the field ourselves at the 49ers so we're looking to get back
1: well I think with Elevate um, Sports Ventures I mean you guys are constantly thinking about the sports experience and how do you kind of improve it change it monetize it I mean what are you guys thinking along that ways what do fans want
6: so fans want what they want at their fingertips whenever they want it. And so I think w- w- the way we think about it is what does the content look like? How is it shifting, right? Whether it's how I view a game, or do I stream it? Do I watch it on linear television? You know, How do I get my content from the team? Because now it's really 365. It's not just when we're in the NFL season. Right. You know, What are the behind-the-scenes access shots that we can give the team because we now own that content? What will gambling mean to both our venue, our team, and our league in general? For us on the football side, it's a lot about the health and safety of the sport. How do we make sure kids continue to play? So what are we doing about concussions? How are we thinking about equipment, right? All the things that go into that. I think our job right now is obviously have the most entertaining sport on the field and in the stadium as we possibly can because that drives viewership. But long-term is to make sure that children continue to participate in playing football um, because, frankly, that's the mm-hmm. biggest risk I think that we have as a sport long-term. That's the thing about what you just said about people coming to
3: the stadium. Long gone are the days like, well, we'll just sell popcorn and we'll get them in. You have to make it an experience now when they're actually at the game from, like you said, streaming, streaming. Uh, picking up anything. Uh, they can look their their phone and check fantasy sports, uh, whatever. Sure. It has to be an experience.
6: Yeah. And we talk about that a lot about the 49ers and at Elevate Sports Ventures. I mean, in the NFL side, we say it's a six hour experience and it's only 28 minutes of live football. And so what are you doing during that downtime? And, you know, I know Mark Cuban said he didn't want any phones in his building, but yes. we can't tell yeah. NFL fans <laughs> to be disconnected from the world for five and a half hours while, the game, that, while right? they're not watching yeah. the game. And then Michael, you know, I think on the elevated sports venture side, you've seen dramatically these arenas uh, spike in price, these stadiums, right? You're talking about $5 yeah. billion dollar stadium in L.A. These investments have gotten riskier, and so you need to fill that content. You need to fill those buildings with a lot of content.
1: We unfortunately have to run. Al, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Al Guido, president and CEO of the San Francisco 49ers.
6: You're
0: listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports Summit with Carol Messer, Jason Kelly, and Michael Barr on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Yes, indeed, everybody. The Bloomberg Business of Sports Summit. Carol Messer along with Michael Barr for this hour. Well, the players deal with the NFL expiring after the 2020 season. So what (laughs) are the biggest issues players want to change? He's been a pretty busy guy, he's been telling us. Uh, Dee Smith is in the house. He's executive director of the NFL Players Association. Nice to have you here. Nice to, to see be back. you again. All, I always look forward to this. this we is look wonderful. forward to talking to you. I love chatting
7: with you guys. <laughs>
1: so tell us what are some of the big issues this time well, I mean, around? You
7: know, this time around, I'm sure uh, you know, there's always a healthy uh, fight over economics. Uh, we, the continued focus on the health and safety of the players is a is a zero sum topic for us. Uh, and and we don't really apologize for fighting for increased player safety, um, we're never satisfied about where we are. So those will always be the, the twin frame issues that we fight. Through. Is it
1: still a fight, though, Dee? Like with all with all of the information that's <laughs> out there, uh, the research, the yeah. studies. Why is it is it really still a fight? Well, you know
7: what? We're we're a union, so uh, we're kind of conditioned to fight. <laughs> um, and at the same time, you know, in a in, in, in any sort of system, and and I'm a unabashed capitalist. There's always a force on one side that would like to have people work longer and work harder, and there's a force on the other side that would like um, uh, people to be safe, and what you try to do is is find a middle ground. What we've done over the years is really take a view that it's not so much about finding a middle ground anymore. Um, we stake out our territory on what we think um, is the healthiest uh, way to, to conduct this business, and we insist on that on being the standard, and and at times uh, I would say that there's a generally uniform agreement. Uh, but if there isn't a force like a union, and and, and whether it's firefighters, police officers, right. coal miners, uh, teachers, right? Um, you know, you you have seen uh, fights that that have to happen, and uh, and it's not because one side is evil or one side is is not. It's just that we have a system that I think requires there to be. Um, equal power on both sides to reach the right conclusion.
3: This was a strange year somewhat in the NFL because I had seen some labor disputes that i would never seen before right the biggest one I can think of right now is Le'Veon Bell right where he sat out for the entire season. Yeah it, Your thoughts as a union uh, Representing Le'Veon Bell a-
7: anytime uh, a young man uh, anytime a person um uh, makes a decision that they have thought through, that uh, that they believe is well-reasoned, that they believe is in their own uh, best economic interest. Uh, I applaud that. So in the same way that we've seen some players decide that they were gonna retire from football, uh, not because they were injured, but because they were not injured.
6: Mm-hmm.
7: Uh, we've seen women, the US Women's National Team, uh, draw a line in the sand over equal pay We've seen teachers all across this country uh, really lead sort of a rebirth of the labor movement when they decide to go on strike. When people do those things and make a decision that is well reasoned, um, and, and they do it because they think it's right, what else should a labor union leader do but applaud them and, and say congratulations? And, and so I know that that caused friction on their team, I know it caused friction with their coach, um, but I'm blessed to only have one job of myopically looking at what's in the best interest of our players and uh, to, to a certain extent that makes the job kind of easy But
1: you do think about activism like we were talking with a bunch of the NBA um, team owners and stuff and and Also, you know sports activism like what's the relationship? What should it be?
7: Well, I, you know, I think that all of our sports uh, are gonna do just fine if we allow people to use their voice Um you know, you, you, you look back in, at uh, the labor fights of the, the 30s or the 40s or, or even come forward to um, all of us when we were much younger in the 60s, um, when you had John Carlos and other people taking, mm-hmm. taking very aggressive stands like Muhammad Ali. Um, I, I, would, I would sort of challenge virtually anybody to conclusively prove that, that that activism somehow hurt the sport or hurt the revenue? And even if it did, aren't there some things that are more important than just the bottom line? Right. Now, I know I'm at Bloomberg and that might cause me to get struck by lightning. No, no, no. Um, but uh, <laughs> you're the, bo- you're the bottom, a safe the space. bottom you're is going to gonna open space. up. And D. Smith <laughs> just fell to the floor. Um, but, you know, when have um, when have people right. taking brand scans really hurt yeah. the business? And, and even if it did, Um, these folks
1: have incredible platforms
7: well you know we're fortunate enough to represent the US women's uh, uh, national soccer team on their (laughs) licensing and marketing we represent the uh, WNBA players um, on for their licensing and marketing am I concerned about the fact that a group of women basketball players make less than men yes Um, am I concerned that they make a lower share of revenue for their work than what the men uh, make Yes, and 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 I'm really happy that those women uh, have decided to, to not um, uh, Stay quiet and sit in the corner uh, They've decided to take the reins of their own destiny in their own hands, and I think that's an important thing
3: the AAF Brought up a story that was very interesting. They're they're saying we don't have a problem with taking players who are on the low end of any football team and bringing them to the AAF so they can develop their game. But first, they got to work it out with the union. Yep. So your
1: thoughts about that <laughs> in 20 <laughs> seconds.
7: <laughs> Anytime someone is forced to talk to D. Smith, that's a great. thing, right? <laughs> um, you know, look, I think that if uh, we're able
1: to work out
7: uh, a relationship with the AAF that benefits some of our players, I think that would be a
2: great thing.
1: Smith. thank you so much awesome. we really appreciate it uh, of course the executive director of the nfl players association with us is joe asher he's ceo u.s of the renowned british bookmaker william hill oversees really the largest collection of sports books in nevada owns more than a quarter of the bookmaking shops in the uk and i'm sure i'm leaving something out welcome to bloomberg radio nice to talk with you
8: likewise good to see you it's
1: great to see you how's it all going especially as we see here in the united states More states legalizing online gaming.
8: Look, certainly a uh, busy time in our business for sure. Uh, You know, really the last year and a half feels like it's been going non stop and uh, it will just continue to uh, uh, to go at this pace for the foreseeable future.
3: One thing I like
8: about that's happening now is that uh, people
3: can do it online as long as they have a phone and they have the app. If the state allows it, they can. go around and do it uh, wherever they want. Where do you see that expanding and will more businesses continue to
8: do that? Well, look, it's uh, the Supreme Court last May ruled that it was up to the states whether or not they wanted to have sports betting and, and then it follows from that the, the forms, whether it's retail only as it is in many states uh, or whether there's uh, an online component as there is in Nevada and in uh, New Jersey and, and you'll see that in uh, other states as well. Fundamentally, the Supreme Court just said it was uh, up to the states to decide, and I think you're seeing uh the legislative process play out in various states now.
1: Is your biggest presence right now in New Jersey, I mean, you guys were out in front ahead of everybody else in terms of preparing for that Supreme Court decision. Is that your biggest presence at this point?
8: Well, the the biggest uh, still by far is in Nevada uh, because it's been going on, obviously, for for, uh, decades in Nevada. That's kind
1: of a separate thing.
8: (laughs) uh, It's a separate thing, but, you know, look, it's incredibly important, but it's also uh, that infrastructure is what's allowed us to move quickly In uh, in the other states, because we've got the people who who know what they're doing, we've got the technology, uh, and then it's a process of just rolling that out to the additional states.
1: Do you you see the rest of the states getting as big as Nevada? I mean, obviously Nevada has been there for a while and very established. But do you see ultimately that the rest of the states, as they sign on, that they will be as big a marketplace?
8: Well, certainly the major states will be. I mean, you would think that. uh, New York, California, uh, states with big populations uh, uh, will ultimately become uh, as big if not bigger than Nevada. But, you know, that's a function of, of things like tax rates, what the regulation is as well. You know, Pennsylvania is a great example of that where the market will be stunted because of uh, of the tax rate uh, that's in place there. So. Uh, ultimately, you know, how big the markets get will be a function of public policy decisions.
3: Well, here comes a big moneymaker for you guys, hopefully, because March <laughs> Madness has arrived. Uh, in fact, one of the bookmakers, and you know, they were talking about Duke. A lot of people are betting on Duke now. And uh, in fact, the bookmaker for, for you guys, and he said, yeah, we love it, because it was at plus 220, plus 240, and now Duke is
8: at plus 200. You know, look, Duke is is sort of the college equivalent, perhaps, of the uh, of the New England Patriots. You know, during the uh, Brady and Bob Kraft and Belichick era, uh, you know, Duke under Coach K, you know, they're just they seem to be there, you know, every year in one form or another, and and you know, they're certainly the hot team coming into uh, the tournament this year. How much money do you think
3: that the bookmakers, not just yourself, but all over, could make on this March Madness tournament?
8: yeah look to some extent it'll depend on the results, but you know the, the way it typically is is the, f- the first weekend of March Madness is really the key part of the tournament, and that 's when you see people getting really uh, enthused about it because there's so many schools in, and everybody's still live and, and you know even if their team is a smaller school they 've got the uh, uh, the hope of the Cinderella run uh, that that 's in it and so uh, you know historically, in Nevada. The, uh, the first four days would equal the Super Bowl, then it was, you know, the first, you know, the, the, then it was three days would equal the Super Bowl as it increased and increased. Now, in Nevada, it's about, you know, the first two days of Thursday, Friday are the equivalent of what we do during the Super Bowl. So it's gotten really, really big.
1: It's interesting, too, as as more um, states legalize, I'm curious about some of the trends that you're seeing in terms of people who sign up and start playing. What's the retention rate coming back? I'm just curious what you guys are seeing.
8: Yeah, look, it's still it's still very early yeah. days. One, one of the, you know, so you're in the process now that the folks who are signing up are clearly the early adopters and, and folks who are, you know, they're, they're already betting, frankly. They've probably been betting with their bookie for some period of time. And, and you know, now we're in the progress of migrating people from the black market market into the legal and regulated market uh, and so you know, we haven't really got to the point where customers you know, uh, uh, are leaving because it's still very much the acquisition phase right uh, but you know the the Nevada, um, experiences, you know, customers sign up and then they, you know, tend to stick around and, and uh, remain loyal as long as you're doing a good job is for them. Is it the
1: same that you've seen, what you've, what, how things have happened in Nevada? And again, as you say, we're early on in the process, but is New Jersey just like you see in Nevada? Or, or does is each market going to have its own nuances?
8: Hey, you know, each market will have its own nuances and around, look around mobile in Nevada, the rule is you have to physically go into a sports book to sign up for your mobile account. And you know, that works pretty well in Nevada where uh, everybody lives within 15 minutes of a casino, quite right. frankly. Right. You know, contrast that to New Jersey, where you can sign up remotely uh, for a mobile account, which is pro- the right model in New Jersey, where you know all the casinos are concentrated in Atlantic City, uh, and then you can also sign up at a couple of racetracks, but some people live more than an hour uh, from the closest sports book, and so the ability to register remotely is important.
3: Got about a minute left, and you mentioned about bookies. Yes, Benny is mad at me already, but I've said too much already. (laughs) But it brings up the point that uh, as we get more people into this, as more uh, casinos get into this and and the sports betting all around the nation, uh, it's going to have to be more competitive about what you offer for odds. Is that true?
8: Well, look, I I think, um, you know, Benny uh, in, 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 in your friend's case, and, uh, you know, there was a fellow named Tony Frenakis, who was my dad's bookie uh, back in Wilmington, Delaware. And, uh, you know, look, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't uh, write sympathy cards for them quite yet because, you know, they don't pay taxes. They're not subject to regulation. They've got decades-long uh, relationships with their customers in some circumstances. They offer credit. Uh, And and so those are the things that the legal market is going to have to compete with uh, to migrate folks uh, away from Benny and and over to William (laughs) Hill.
1: Tony and Benny don't have to worry about anything. Not quite yet. Joe Asher, thank you so much.
0: You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports Summit with Carol Messer, Jason Kelly and Michael Barr on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Business of Sports Summit. Carol Master, Michael Barr, Jason Kelly going to join us shortly. So our next guest brought Thursday Night Football to Twitter. That uh, move really putting Twitter on the sports map. map. But keep in mind that Twitter has so many uh, relationships with pretty much all of the top sports leagues. Let's get into it with Laura Froelich. She's Senior Director, Head of U.S. Content Partnerships at Twitter, former Global Head for Sports Partnerships. You do it all, don't you?
9: I have a great time (laughs) doing it,
1: yes. And we should say that Bloomberg also partners with Twitter uh, on the global news feed TikTok. Um, I'm always curious about the sports partnerships. You just gotta be everywhere, don't you?
9: Well, you know, Twitter as a platform, we have incredible fans who are everywhere. And I think because of the nature of our platform being a global, open, conversational platform, we do have that fandom coming from everywhere, and I think that's a great value proposition to our partners because they are looking to expand their footprint. They know that their fans aren't necessarily all based here in the U.S., and they're looking to expand, and, and Twitter is really a great platform that helps them do that.
3: On a basic level, I remember a long time ago when Twitter came out and I used a quote from an athlete on Twitter and got dressed down as like, we never quote Twitter! <laughs> like blah, blah, blah. Well, now that is all changed because athletes have realized, hey, this is the best way mm-hmm. to get my side out to all the people.
9: Yeah, I mean, it's a really fantastic opportunity, to your point, to have a direct connection to your fans. Um, You know, you can speak in your own voice, you can hear how they're feeling. Um, It's a really great sort of symbiotic relationship that that fans can have with their favorite athletes. And another thing that was really fun about it is that the athletes can connect with each other and talk to each other, and we as fans (laughs) can see that happening too, that's super fun.
1: Yeah, right, being, we were just talking about activism, right, and this is a way for like uh, players to kind of support each other. I'm curious, did you guys, got into the world of sports where are you seeing the most activity the most significant trends
9: growth is it from the sports players is it from fan reactions is it from the games itself what are you seeing it's really all of the above and I think what really helps our partners be successful on our platform is they and we really listen to the conversation that's happening so that we can then advise them on what's the kind of content that our fans have the biggest appetite for so then they can we use that to inform here's the kinds of content that's going to get the most engagement from the most frankly the most valuable audience when they're the most receptive given the nature of twitter you know really there are other platforms out there that are very much look at me yeah whereas twitter is very much look at this and all the conversation that's happening around it. So we take advantage of that. So which kind of content actually gets the most responses? Yeah, I mean, what we're talking to our partners about now and what you saw us announce, for example, with the NBA recently, mm-hmm. is content that is complementary, not competitive, to what they're already doing on broadcast. You know, Twitter has always been that fantastic second screen that you can be with other fans talking about the games while they're happening we're continuing that with the ability to vote on an iso cam for the second half of 20 nba games this season oh my god so you know they put All a right. vote out for um for four players and then the the winning player gets the iso cam for the second half of the games
3: wait a minute old man bar needs to, <laughs> clarify, to clarify something sure. the iso cam explain that to me
9: please. yes oh of course so the uh, the NBA will put out a vote, and actually our partners at Turner as well, NBA on TNT, uh, they say, which of these four players, you know, LeBron, um, Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry, um, Giannis, you know, which one of them do you want to see on uh, – just them playing, you know, so the game is going on 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 the linear broadcast, but you want to focus specifically on this one player. Um, You can do that for the second half of the game for the the winning player. So you can just constantly see them playing throughout the whole game. And we also have commentators who are part of the NBA Twitter community so that people have been engaging with them for for years on the platform. They're the commentators that, that provide that extra context during that IsoCam as well.
3: Oh, my goodness. This is going to grow. because This that's is not just going to be just one. Per- this is going to be for several athletes down the road at the same game at the same time.
9: Potentially.
1: Right. You think about customized viewing, right? So it's exactly. like, here's the player I want to watch. And yeah. that's it.
9: We're doing something similar with the PJ Tour. So we, it's Fan Vote uh, Fridays. Yeah. Um, so on Fridays, uh, Golf Twitter can vote on the featured group that is, uh, is live streamed on Twitter. Does it monetize? It does in spades, so that's you know that's one of the things that we because I I love it.
1: Well, no, right? Because you know, right? I mean. I love Twitter. I love it. But you know, the argument has been, how do you guys monetize it? There's tons of people using it. It's amazing how it guides the conversation, whether it's sports, whether it's general news, but how do you monetize it?
9: Yeah, so we have a sponsorship model that has been very successful that we've built over the course of the last, uh, over five years. So brands obviously want to be associated with this premium content. They also want to reach the incredibly valuable audience that's on Twitter. So we give them the opportunity to have their advertisement be the pre-roll in front of the video highlights and the live streams and then they get to distribute that content from these premium publishers to their targeted audiences across our platform so not only the people who are following the NBA for example uh, but they can target the the folks who are interested in NBA who are um, likely to buy their product you know all the sophisticated targeting capabilities that Twitter has are at their disposal and then they can deliver the content to fans.
3: If my leg is shaking, just because the, I can see the excitement of what's going <laughs> was on, your leg I mean, shaking? My, that's, that's why the whole thing was shaking here. <laughs> what this means is not only just the player, obviously, with any team you want, because you can go anywhere, not just any state around the world. If I want to see the Detroit Pistons lose, I can go ahead and/or win. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I can see them anywhere, any place, anytime when you guys set this up on Twitter.
9: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I also think. I it's it's worth pointing out that even you know all along Twitter has been able to provide that to you right because we've had the conversation around these games and around these teams and around these players you know for time immemorial and so now it's being enhanced even further with you know live video content highlights and and such um, so it's just taking it what has always been there to that next level what are you missing in terms of the sports world Because you've pretty much, have you locked up all the agreements or there's always more out there? Yeah, I mean, you know, we are doing all kinds of deals all the time. And, and, you know, we started the year with a bang and we are not slowing down at all. You know, one actually in particular that I'm really proud of is we recently announced our partnership with Adidas. The latest edition of that partnership with Adidas and Intersport is to live stream girls' high school sports. Uh, So in the U.S., Yeah, only 4% of sports media coverage in the U.S. is dedicated to women's sports. And so I'm really proud that Adidas and Twitter are partnering together on this. Score on my part. That's great stuff. Laura, thank you so much for dropping by.
0: You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports Summit with Carol Messer, Jason Kelly, and Michael Barr on Bloomberg Radio. We're
3: having a, a good time talking to a lot of people here about the sports world. And we have a man... Now, I'm going I'm to mention the last name Luck. Now, I'm not, you know, dropping any names, you know, but there's a gentleman here who uh, has a very famous son who also played in the National Football League, Oliver Luck, and he is now the commissioner and the CEO of the XFL. Thank you, sir, for joining us.
2: Michael, well, I'm
10: glad to be here. Jason, how are you?
2: Doing very well. Well, we're... So excited to have you here, in part because we are on the verge of seeing the XFL all over again. Tell
10: us why now. So there was the XFL 2001 football fans. Remember it? A lot of folks don't. And it wasn't quite honestly a good look in terms of football. But Vince McMahon about a year ago announced that he wanted to relaunch the XFL, I think for a number of reasons. But uh, the league that we are in the process of building will launch February of 2020, the weekend after the Super Bowl the league that we're in the process of building is going to be a league for serious football fans where the game is taken seriously. Uh, it's an up-tempo, fast-paced kind of a game. Fewer breaks, fewer stoppages. That's one of the things that football fans complain about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some innovations that we're looking at doing, but things that we believe will improve the game. And it's a tough game to improve because right now, I believe, as many fans do that, you know whether it's the NFL or major college football, it's probably at an all-time high in terms of the, of the way the game is being played and the quality of the game. So we think there are a number of places that we can innovate and be a little bit different. Now I, I did like he hate me. Remember that? <laughs> I, that? That was good. I did remember that back in the day. But it, but hey, now- that guy, that guy, wh- whose real name was Rod Smart, he yeah, played in the right. Super Bowl. He was that's a right. good football player. Played for the Panthers when they went to the Super Bowl uh, back in uh, I think what is 2004, maybe yeah. or so. Uh, but a solid, a solid player. But that was overshadowed by you know the nickname <laughs> yeah. in the back of the jersey.
3: That's something though about the 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 uh, that league back then and and now today. Uh, you mentioned they'll be more serious, but there was some fun moments. Will we see something like that? Oh yeah, they'll.
10: I mean, I, I think I think we'll have plenty of fun moments, and, and again, we'll do some things that are that are different. What we don't want to do is have gimmicks, right? Americans care about football. It's become sort of our secular religion, right? And our stadiums are our cathedrals in a sense. So they really care deeply about the game. So I think we we want to avoid anything that sort of smacks of gimmickry. Uh, but that, that again doesn't mean we can't innovate and do some things that are a little bit different. Think about it. 2001 nobody was worried about head trauma right.
3: and now right. and now That's
10: in right. today's football world NFL college Pop Warner high school you name it there's a you know serious legitimate concern so we want to make sure that we're doing things that make sense from health uh, a health and safety perspective as well
2: so in the perspective or in the category of worlds colliding we have another uh, league that has started out the Alliance uh, and Charlie Eversol, I believe, did a documentary about the XFL. So all this football world is is a small one. Where where does the XFL fit in with the Alliance, which has gotten underway? And and how does it all sort of coexist in this football universe?
10: So... The rationale for our game is that there are 85 million football fans in this country, 40 million, almost half of whom are diehard, passionate fans. And we're going to go into these markets, New York, Washington, D.C., Dallas, Houston, Seattle, where we've got real passionate fans. So those are markets where the other league is not in. They're playing in some of the smaller markets like uh, San Antonio or or Salt Lake City. Uh, I think they've chosen a little bit of a different strategy. So uh, I think there's plenty of football right uh, in in terms of 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 the ability of the American fan to really enjoy the game and appreciate the game. I I've u- I've been using the analogy in the fall, right, when football is, you know, every Friday, every Saturday, every nobody says, well, there's too much college football, so we should get rid of the Big 10 and just have the SEC, right? Yeah. You know, people don't say that. So my sense would be that that there's plenty of space right. for all of us to 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 coexist. We are focused on our markets, and, and and we've watched the alliance. I think they've done some things very well, mm-hmm. some other things that uh, I didn't think went so well. But uh, I, I think we've got our own business plan and our own sort of ideals. Well, I bring up gambling a lot because I'm a heathen, and, uh, and I am. So I'm going to bring up this. Bless again. you, my son. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> Will the XFL? get involved in that uh, with gambling uh, at casinos and online and things like that. So
10: all the sports leagues, right, from those that are very well established like the NFL and the NBA down to, you know, brand new leagues like ours, we're all trying to figure out what it means to be involved. We all want to offer a league with integrity, right and consistency so that folks do want to in fact gamble wager uh, right and you know we want you know vegas to put a line on our games which is difficult for a brand new league the alliance is finding that out i think as well but in terms of what else one does with you know, the, 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 the casinos, the casino industry, the gambling industry, that's all being figured out. And that's, you know, taking a relatively slow pace because of the state by state nature, you know, of this. So uh, things will be a little bit different when we launch in February of 2020, but I don't think it'll be that much clearer in terms of whether, you know, gambling and the Supreme Court decision from about a year ago. Uh, is any sort of panacea I don't believe it is it's not any sort of a panacea uh, or a cure for yeah. anybody who's ailing and, and I think all of us established leagues as well as non-established leagues fall in that category
2: I want to ask you about the NCAA you worked there uh, for a time and it does feel like that's one of the for lack of a better term, sort of tension points right now around amateurs around safety and and sort of how that amateur and, and that uh, element of football coexists with with professional football. What did you learn there that informs how you will run it in terms of player safety, in terms of sort of player longevity, all those things that, that people really care about?
10: Sure. So I think I learned a couple of things is that one, it's very hard to make an NFL roster. Yeah. <laughs> There's only 53 yeah. active players in that right. roster. You guys know the average career is like 3.6 right. or 3.7 years. And what I've learned is college football has gotten a lot better the last 20, 30 years. There's a whole bunch of guys that still want to play i think there's a i don't know four or five year period when a guy gets out of high school college and has finished playing college football where he still wants to play sort of regardless if you will of the salaries regardless of the motivation the financial motivation I, I think i learned that I, th- I also think i learned that the ncaa because it's not a professional league had to really you know in a very sincere way look at the head trauma issue and make decisions like let's prohibit two a days because that's not a good thing yeah, yeah. for you know and yeah. they did that right uh the nfl did it as well but they did it through the collective bargaining process where i think it was more a case of the veterans didn't want to have two practices right. a day because you know they want to save their bodies for the season so there's a number of things I think I, I've learned ultimately I think because our players at least initially won't be unionized I think I have to sort of look out as a commissioner for our players much the way you know a coach or an athletic director at a, at a school looks out for you know the 85 scholarship right. players right make sure that you know they're well taken care of in terms of meals and health care and all those sorts of things right that's that is our human capital and I think we have to probably be a little bit sort of you know, paternalistic, uh, which sometimes can get a bad rap. But I think we have to be a little bit paternalistic because we don't have a union uh, to negotiate the terms and conditions of, of, of employment. Oliver Luck, commissioner and CEO of the
2: XFL. And I have to say, as a former Houstonian living in Houston in the 80s, Former Houston Oiler.
10: Well, very good. Thank you for remembering that.
2: <laughs> right. Not many people do. There, there you go. Oliver Luck. Uh, thank you so much. Good luck to you. We hope to uh, catch up with you soon, as especially as the season gets underway. You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports Summit with Carol Messer, Jason Kelly, and Michael Baugh on Bloomberg Radio. All right. So let's turn to our next guest, Michael, if we can. A friend of the show of sorts, uh, I've got to know him a bit over the years, Don Cornwell. He's a partner over at PJT Partners, knows all the ins and outs of the sports business world. We've talked a lot uh, over the years. Don, thank you for joining us.
11: Good to see you guys. Hello.
2: All right, so I want to start actually where we just left off with uh, Oliver Luck. He's got a new football league. There's another new football league, the Alliance. We're going to talk later with Paul Rabel, who's creating a new lacrosse league. Is it a good time to be starting all these leagues? You know this business better than anyone. It's the best time.
11: Uh, You really are in an era where content uh, can come in of any sort and do quite well. The distribution methodologies are there. right? People are used to finding uh, what they want to see. So if you're a football addict, you can watch as much football. You can watch XFL when it starts, starts up. AAF, as Oliver talked about, you can watch all the various college conference leagues, and you can get access to it, and you just do it by flipping on your Apple TV and searching around. Uh, And so it's made life a lot easier for those guys.
3: You can take any sport now. I mean, back in the day, you had to watch Wide World of Sports. You had to watch the barrel-jumping championships for about 15 minutes, and that was it. Now you can take any sport, and you can air the entire contest, all the games, and you can see that. And I I guess the the big thing that has happened uh, involves the media rights involving all of that.
11: That's right. So, you know, in the old days, there was – three channels, four channels, five channels, and they made a decision. I'm going to place my bet on the NFL, or I'm going to place my bet on the NBA. Now there's all these various distribution networks who will say, look, we'll, we'll, we'll construct a creative deal. We'll do a revenue share. We'll pay a little bit money, and if it works, we'll pay you more money because we know that there will be people out there that will follow it, and with YouTube, you can actually see. So take lacrosse as an example. Right. If you go and look at... Uh, the, the the view numbers on some of these lacrosse some of this lacrosse content it's massive numbers and so people can say okay I know the fans are out there if I get that content to them they'll 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 absolutely take part in it and I can advertise around it
2: and so where are we in terms as you look across the various leagues where are we in terms of valuations they all seem to be going up. Where value values rising the fastest? You know, or just a few minutes ago before I came over to, to this show, I was on TV talking to Mark Lazary. He's clearly very happy with his investment in the, in the quite Milwaukee quite well. Bucks. Yep. Uh, the NBA franchises seem to just be going up and up. NFL obviously has been there for a while. Where's the value and, and how how fast can we expect this and how long can we expect this to keep growing? We're still on that ride. Yeah.
11: Uh, you know, look, I think across all the sports uh, you're seeing – Growth. I think the, the the level of growth is different. Whereas in you know the NFL, because your t- law of large numbers, you, you're not seeing the 25, 30 percent growth numbers that you saw historically. But you're still seeing numbers that outpace the markets. Uh, when you look at MLS uh, and the growth of soccer, and you just look at what's going on, for example, in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, you know they're selling out football stadiums there. Uh, you sort of have to look at it and say, okay, if I think about the demographics of this country. That's kind of where the action is, and so you could see some really big numbers. But I think, you know, whether it's eSports, whether it's hockey, basketball, baseball, football, they're going to continue to go up. And it's not just the media rights, right? I think the, the, the challenge has been people say, okay, the media rights, they're going to plateau. They're going to level out a little bit. Well, there's other sources of revenue now. What we're seeing is in the world of data, uh, that the, the, the data that's coming out of these leagues, that's intellectual property that they can monetize when you have sports betting. Right, right. That, that creates a need for that data. That also creates increased interest. People want to gamble on anything. If you look over in Europe, people gamble on snooker. People gamble on darts. Right? So that creates an opportunity for all of these sports to, to, to continue to garner interest and to produce more uh, cash flow. It's my kind of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: any sport, as we were talking about earlier, can, can generate uh, a market, and like you just mentioned, eSports. That's something that has taken off, even the Simpsons now. They've gotten into esports. Your thoughts about it? esports is where it's at. Um, if if you look
11: at just the amount that people game right now, and just put aside the professional gamers, just random human beings walking down the street, they all game. Fifteen years ago, we would play a board game twice, two, three times a year, right? And That was the extent of it. Then all of a sudden, we got these little devices that had Brick Breaker installed, and so we started playing Brick Breaker. Now people are playing Candy Crush. They're gaming. And the next level of that are things like Fortnite. Right? When you walk in and you see parties of 30-something f- folks playing Fortnite together, well, it only makes sense that they're going to want to watch the best in the world. Uh, and that's what you get with eSports. And so the, you know, the numbers we're seeing in terms of viewage uh, are astounding, uh, given how new these leagues are. I mean, you take Overwatch as an example, Yeah, they're in year two. Right. And, and you know the numbers that in, in the first month are, are, are tremendous, and it's only going up. And you're seeing new, new, uh, new games come out. Apex Legends is another one that just started, and all of a sudden the numbers are through the roof. Fortnite Fortnite is beyond a game, it's a platform. Uh, and, and so I think that we're just in the early days of it, and it's a whole different group of folks. It's not the folks that were historically football fans and basketball fans, it's a whole other group of folks who people in this room don't typically touch. Uh, And that's the beauty of it, because it allows the folks who own the sports teams, the traditional sports teams, to cross market to a whole new uh, group of uh, of fans.
2: So where do you make money on that, though? Because it feels like it's a little bit different than traditional sports, although some of it, I I mean, I'm still blown away. You and I have talked about this before, that people will show up to an arena and watch other people play video games. Like, that makes my just head turn in on itself. Like, I don't understand, (laughs) but... There they are.
11: I went to the Overwatch Finals last June out in Brooklyn, and it was the loudest I've ever seen that building. It was louder. I was talking to a buddy of mine who works at Barclays. He said it was louder than Jay-Z, louder than the Nets playoff games when Pierce and Garnett were around. And so there's money from that. There's clearly the distribution of, of media like we all know and love, and that's happening through Twitch, and there's advertising around that. But it's also then back to the publishers. Those people are going to go play the game. So they go watch somebody play. They get excited. They go home. Uh, and they want to play, and in-game, there's microtransactions, right? So if I see that my favorite professional player was using a certain type of weapon or was wearing a certain type of uniform, I can go spend a dollar and and, and purchase that product.
3: Well, you talk about that, about watch. I have a 14-year-old and a 19-year-old, and I sat and I watched them play Fortnite. And I was screaming at the set. In fact, my 14-year-old made a mistake, and I said, what in the Sam Hill are you doing? Well, I didn't say Sam Hill. I said something else, and I had to clean it all up later on. I can see how it happens and and how people can yell and scream uh, when they're in the stadium
9: like
11: that. Well, the announcers are tremendous, and that's the other thing. If you watch it, you'll see that the announcers really do hype you up. right? You may not really understand what's going on in the game, but many of these games are very simple. It's capture the flag, right? It's games that we all grew up playing. It's tag, right? It's just right. doing it with really interesting graphics. Uh, and so you, it's easy to kind of
2: comprehend. Don Cornwell, partner over at PJT. Always love catching up with you. You're always looking around the corner for what's next in sports. And I have to say, you called esports way before uh, most people that uh, we talked to on Wall Street. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Our next guest has showed up. I think we're pretty excited about this one as well to say the least randy levine president of the new york yankees made his way you know just a little further downtown uh, than you normally are uh randy exciting times up in the bronx for sure thanks for joining us
12: Uh, it's great always to be with you guys how are you you today 10 days out before opening day so it's exciting
0: Oh.
2: All right, so I was, uh, I was doing a little Googling this morning and I caught a story uh, from back in December where you basically, you just threw down the gauntlet and said Yankees just as talented as the Red Sox, which I'm sure many Red Sox fans at least would say it's a bold statement given what the Red Sox looked like last year. What gives you all this confidence 10 days out?
12: Well, the Red Sox are a great team. Uh, they're the world champions. <clears throat> they have to be respected, but I think we got a great team. I think we've improved on last year. Uh, We have some great pieces that uh, Brian Cashman, our baseball operations uh, folks, brought in. Uh, We have uh, a great new pitcher from Seattle, Mm -hmm. James Paxson. Uh, He he hopefully will be an ace. We have uh, Adam Adovino and uh, re-signed Zach Britton. Uh, so I think our bullpen is really, really strong, maybe the best in baseball. Uh, we have uh, D.J. LeMahieu, uh, all-star second baseman. So uh, if we stay healthy, I think we're going to be really, really good.
3: I have to ask about the Yes Network, it, the ownership. It's back at home where it
9: should be.
12: <laughs> well, we, we have an agreement, but uh, it's a lot of work. we got to get to close it. It's very exciting. We started the Yes Network. Years ago, it's been uh, the most watched regional, successful regional sports network in the world uh, since we started it. Uh, Fox was a great partner, but uh, as part of their merger with Disney, they had to divest it. So um, we're in the process of trying to close it. we got some great partners and it's uh, some great plans. It's going to be exciting.
2: Well, let's talk about that, those partners if we can, because I think that was certain, certainly for those of us who follow the business side of sports, that was one of the most uh, interesting elements of that. Help us understand how that sort of coalition of the willing came together there.
12: Well, I only speak from, uh, because we haven't uh, closed the deal, I'll just give you uh, what our perspective was. Yeah. I think is this... Uh, industry changes from uh, what we call a linear, just cable distribution uh, industry, to more of a streaming and over the top. We wanted to have a coalition of partners to cover all aspects
2: as that move forward. Cover all the bases, as it were. Cover (laughs) all the bases. Harder, harder, (laughs) harder. Couldn't couldn't help myself.
12: So we we feel we have that. Uh, We feel we have people who really can bring uh, the greatest ideas and the best know-how that we navigate and improve the linear system and as we move to a digital system we're in the forefront of that
3: I have to ask about baseball in general I mean, have there have been moves now to speed up the game where uh, a pitchers clock has been talked about uh, changes about pitchers your thoughts all about that
12: well I give the Commissioner and and the Union Tony Clark a lot of credit because baseball is a great game and you got to be very very careful you know it's not a game on a clock It's got its own rhythm to it, but our fans think the game is too long. They just think it's too long. So the idea is, how do you shorten the game without affecting the the rhythm and the heart of the game? And uh, they're exploring a whole bunch of ideas. Uh, Just last week, they came up with some proposals. You know, reduce mound visits from six to five. There's a proposal hasn't been agreed yet uh, to have a relief pitcher or any pitcher just face three batters so the you know reduce the um, the amount of minutes between inning breaks so we're trying these things to try and uh speed up a game a little bit but not change the fabric of it
3: i want to add to that right quick about shortening the the innings because a pitcher has to warm up and if, if he doesn't warm up properly he can get hurt
12: we think that uh there's plenty of room, plenty of time for a pitcher to warm up. Uh, and this is really uh, affecting the clubs and the networks the most because there's just less commercial time.
2: <laughs> so, I uh, want to talk to you about a little bit about what you did and didn't do in the offseason you you know you just laid out a, a pretty compelling roster but um ultimately not involved in Machado or Harper which were obviously the blockbuster uh, acquisitions as it were over the course of the season uh why not
12: well I think we had a great team and I think uh as Hal Steinbrenner said and as Cash uh, said, uh, I think our priority was pitching. Mm-hmm. We needed pitching, and we that's where we prioritized. Uh, we felt very great and comfortable with uh, uh, Miguel andahar at third base. Uh, we got a great shortstop in D.D. Gregorius. He'll be back, you know, sometime during the season. We got Troy Tulawitsky. So uh, Manny Machado just didn't fit for us. Mm-hmm. He's a great player. <clears throat> we met with him. He didn't fit. I think it's great that he went to the Padres. That's great. You know, it's... For a team like San Diego to sign a player like that, that's wonderful. And as far as Bryce Hopper, he's a phenomenal player. He's great. But I think we got a pretty good outfield uh, with Aaron Judge, uh, Brett Gardner, Aaron Hicks, yeah. and Giancarlo Stanton.
3: I'm afraid of that lineup <laughs> somebody. I'm playing someone who's got that in fantasy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The brand of the Yankees, I don't care where you are in the world. They know about the New York Yankees. It. Can you expand more about what that means to have a brand like the Yankees known worldwide? Well, it's
12: it's very, very uh, important to us to work every day to increase that brand and to make sure the brand continues to stand for what it is, a tradition, excellence, and, uh, and winning. Uh, that's what George Steinbrenner intended it to be, and we work very, very hard every day uh, to to make it better Uh, and we do different things. This year we're going to be playing the Red Sox in London. I think tickets sold out in 20 minutes. Uh, uh, We did really well both here and our fans uh, uh, in Europe. So uh, wherever you go, it always even imagines me. I never forget the first time I went to Beijing. I wanted to see Tiananmen Square and I got there late. Like 1, 2 in the morning, and I saw some guy wearing a Yankee hat, and it gave me a big thrill. So uh, we're always one of the top brands, no matter what, sports, corporate, and the world, and uh, we work hard every day to maintain that and improve it.
2: And in terms of, and, and Michael sort of alluded to this earlier. In, in terms of sort of keeping a hold of your existing fans, but also appealing to younger fans. I've got a couple teenagers myself, and I'm, you know, ashamed to say, as a longtime baseball fan they couldn't care less about Do so they play lacrosse they let they play tennis all those different things how do you ensure that this next generation uh really does continue to come to the ballpark and and consume it all the different ways that uh that that you're putting out there
12: it's a great question and it's a major priority for all of us uh, in many ways uh through the commissioner we you know play ball we we've put a lot of resources into community baseball youth baseball little league baseball because you're right if you play the game you're going to be a fan of the game Uh, we've changed yankee stadium over the last couple of years made it very very family friendly in a lot of areas for kids uh, so it's fun Uh, but the answer is you have to penetrate it you have to show what a great game it is and in fact recent studies have shown uh, baseball is now shooting right to the top of youth participation Hmm.
3: Is the game, do you believe that, how can I say this delicately, everybody digs the long ball. And I'm wondering, where do you find the balance? Do you find the balance in let's have more home runs or do you have a pitcher's duel?
12: You know, that's the endless debate that's gone on in baseball uh, forever. Uh, I've heard all sides, you know. Uh, Some people love the great, you know, pitchers and you know, but they say game one nothing, 2-1 is boring, and there's some people who want to lower the pitcher's mound. On the other hand, you know, you get people, they don't like the strikeouts in the game. There's not enough action, you know, when guys yeah. are hitting home runs and swingers are dealing with launch yeah. angles. That's the great debate of baseball, you know. There's something for everybody, and you got to just find the uh, the balance. Today everybody's debating shifts. Do they work, don't work. So uh, that's great about baseball. It goes... All through the year, and there's always something to talk about and for people to agree or disagree
2: with. Randy, before we let you go, got to ask you about sports betting. You know, it is, I'm guessing, one of the big topics for everybody in this room. Uh, certainly, we talk about it uh, all the time. I know Michael and on his uh, weekly show talks about it uh, a, a decent amount as well. How does that play into baseball? And I do think about, like, the history of baseball and, and gambling and baseball uh, have had some of it. it Gambling has accounted for some of the more sordid moments in, uh, in baseball history. How do you embrace it now, given the legality?
12: I think it's inevitable. I think it's going to be phenomenal for baseball. I think it's great as long as it's regulated, as long as uh, it's integral. Uh, I think we talked about pace of play. It's actually going to help. Uh, with baseball rather than other sports because you're going to have people betting on scoring runs in an inning. Is it a slider? Is it a fastball? Is a guy going to hit a home run or a double? Is he going to strike out? So I think it's inevitable. Of course, you know, it has to become legal in in the various states. There have to be the protections uh, required, so the game, the integrity of the game is preserved. But I think it's going to be the preeminent revenue source over the next decade.
3: Randy Levine, thank you so much. Obviously, we know he's the president of the New York thank Yankees, you. and we're so glad to have you on Always great to be with you guys. Great. Thank you. J-E-T-S. <laughs> I just want to say that. I always seeing that. Uh, love saying that. We love that you're saying <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Clark, president of the New York Jets. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. A big th- Well, you got a big guy. You
4: got uh, you picked up the running back
3: that everyone wanted, on Bell. So he's with you guys now.
4: We're excited to have him. This is a time of year where there's a lot of excitement. It really is the start of the season for all intents and purposes. You start with free agency, leads to the draft. Pretty soon you're in training camp and getting ready for preseason and the regular season. So having a guy like on is very exciting. So tell us about the deal. Like, what, what- – take us
2: inside the 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 boardroom there he comes available um what's the strategy and and was this the really the the single thing you wanted going into this uh offseason so these
4: are better questions for our general manager of course uh who you know who strategizes well, we know you were in the room <laughs> come on who wants <laughs> on, to strategize yeah. <laughs> on uh how to continue to really add weapons on the offense sure shore up the defense and uh I think free agency is opportunistic. I think uh, you don't know who's necessarily going to be available. Yeah. Uh, you don't know if they're necessarily uh, going gonna to accept a deal from the Jets. So there's just a lot of moving parts, and uh, I think they have a lot of different scenarios that they work through to ultimately uh, land on, on the group of guys that, that come to your team.
3: We have talked with many of the uh, sports heads of sports teams, and I'm going to ask you the same thing. One of the biggest things for a fan when they come to the game, it's way more now – than just selling popcorn. They have to have that experience at the stadium. And uh, I've seen more and more people bring that in. And I guess I'm going to ask this angle. Atlanta, the Falcons, they set up a pricing range for food pretty cheap. Uh,
4: Is that the way to go now for all the uh, teams? So it's interesting. I think they've done a great job in Atlanta for about – It's been at least four or five years. We've done value pricing at our building, so we thought it was important uh, that if somebody comes out with their family, that if they wanted to get a drink, if they wanted to have a hot dog, they wanted to have chicken tenders, that it would be affordable. So that's something that we have focused on for a number of years, and we're always evaluating what's being done around the league. We want people to have a great time. There are other people who don't necessarily want those value meals. They want uh, whatever they, they want to consume. Uh, But the fan experience, it's really what we spend a lot of our time. Thanks for asking me the football question. I think what what we spend a lot of our time kind of on the business side is the fan experience. And that's year-round before they get to the stadium, but also once once they come to the stadium. So last year we had a partnership with Marvel, and we did a a, a green out. And... uh, We did Hulk with bobbleheads, and we played the Vikings, and it was Thor. So just something to kind of add to the experience. Uh, We're at this luncheon today, and there's some people here from WWE. They're great partners of ours. So we did a, uh, uh, a kid's day last year during the season where it featured a lot of the WWE superstars that came out. Uh, so you're just, we did a Super Bowl three celebration. So it's not, it, it's the young people, but it's also people who've been the longstanding fans who, who wanna be there for the history and some of the great uh, legends that we've had at the Jets. So it really goes into the overall experience of some of it's programming. Uh, this year, we're, we're really trying to activate more parts of the building like we do every year. So when people, there are certain people just wanna, they wanna tailgate for two or three hours, great. And then come into the stadium and have a great time. For those people, Have a great time at the tailgate. We'll make sure the programming on the the scoreboards is exciting and entertaining. There are other people. They want to come in a little bit earlier. They want to be entertained. So through some of our partnerships or things that we do on our own, we want to make sure there are things that, uh, that, that they can do that it could be virtual reality. It could be simple things where the kids are able to run around and measure how fast they went. So we do a mini combine once they get inside the gate. So, Michael, you hit on the right thing which is, uh, how do we continue to entertain? So, uh, let's talk about
2: the football fan and the football consumer, because we caught up earlier with Oliver Luck, commissioner and CEO of the XFL. Uh, a few weeks back, uh, Carol Mass and I on our show had Charlie Ebersole talking about the Alliance right before they kicked off, uh, as it were, is the appetite that insatiable for football that that the fan can essentially absorb all these different uh, professional
4: leagues coming at them? So uh, before I was at the Jets, I was at the NFL, uh, at the league office. Yeah, And uh, we've yet to reach that saturation point. So it, it, it's terrific, the interest, uh, again, we're here today talking about football. at The off season, who would have thought people wouldn't be talking about the combine? And free agency takes over part of the sports calendar for a few days. The draft given what's going to be happening in nashville and what's happened before in dallas and philadelphia and some of these other cities uh, so i never bet against uh, the fans and their interest in, in the sport of football
3: you don't see the interest in the draft in the nhl that's not knocking the hockey league it's just that the nfl is king and uh, it, <laughs> they're on the top of the food chain so like you said next month here comes the draft everybody's excited about it that is a football fan. And uh, I just wonder about your thoughts about that
4: real quick. Um, The the draft is when people start thinking about the fall, um, who can help their team. And the great thing is with college football, you've seen a lot of these young players for, for the past two, three, four years. So not only are the fans projecting who can help their team, they know, it, it's not just a the name. These are people that, it, it's not uh, the hardcore fantasy guy who only knows who these players are. They're pretty mainstream guys. Uh, we were thrilled to draft Sam Darnold third last year, but he was well-known by the time the Jets drafted him. So from a fan standpoint, they were excited to get him because they knew so much about him, knew knew who he was as a player, knew who he was as a person. Um, but... Uh, the draft is uh, – it's, it's really been a com- become a really terrific event. The first draft I went to, I'll date myself, was in 1992. They did it at the Marriott Marquis, and I think they did it, a nice job of it then, but it's nothing compared to what it is today. Neil Glatt, president of the New York
2: Jets, congrats on your pickup, and uh, good luck this season. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports Summit with Carol Messer, Jason Kelly, and Michael Barr on Bloomberg Radio.
2: All right, Michael Barr, we're winding up this show with, I gotta tell you, I feel like I've watched this whole thing grow up here on Bloomberg, the premier lacrosse <laughs> league. Paul Rabel, the founder, here with us. This has been a great story.
3: What's that old saying you see in the cereals? When we last left Paul Rabel.
2: I know. <laughs> and look what's happening now. I know, it's amazing. I have to say, you know, we, we were joking about this a little bit uh, off air. Uh, he <clears throat> played lacrosse notably at uh, a little school called Johns Hopkins, which happens to be close to the heart of our uh, founder and majority owner, uh, Mike Bloomberg. So uh, I understand Mike gave a little shout-out to uh, Hopkins. But that was really (laughs) only the beginning uh, for you, Paul. And now we are on the verge of the premier lacrosse league uh, coming to a stadium near you this summer.
5: Yep, we're uh, 78 days out to June 1, which is our our first weekend. Uh, Yeah, Michael, I think when we were sitting – uh, we were first, we were probably a year out.. Yeah. So uh, building this league uh, with my brother and co-founder Mike from scratch and now our executives uh, and our entire management team and junior associates and players is, is an everyday build. Um, there's a famous uh, saying that if if you're uh, not working on Saturdays, how can we expect you to work on Sundays? <laughs> <laughs> I lose track of what day it is, but I could get used to this view right now. And thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Yeah,
2: no, it's
3: great. I have to ask. It's this. Con- I want to know about this conversation between you and your brother because it, you know when you somebody had to say. Let's start a brand new league. And someone had to say, what? (laughs) I mean, that's a big undertaking.
5: Yeah, well, our first conversation was how do we appropriately fix and commercialize the pro game? Uh, You know, there was an existing league in Major League Lacrosse, and uh, Mike and I spent uh, about eight months uh, in meetings and and trying to work with the different owners of that league to figure out a way that – um, you know, we could either work together or kind of remodel what had existed, uh, in our view, based on the data that we had and the players at our back. And I think this modern day and new technology and new media is that the sport deserved a a new business model. So whether it was rolling up MLL and rolling out tour or in the, the route that we took in launching the new league from scratch, which... Uh, proceeded that is, uh, is is how we ended up on it so I don't think uh, you know, many people uh, would get excited around starting a new pro sports league it's fun to think about but incredibly challenging uh, and we worked our way to that place and, and now it's just it's everyday but it's a lot of fun
2: well and let's talk about the everyday aspect because you and I got a chance to catch up last week at your Paul Rabel Foundation event here in New York City and one of the things I said to you uh, sort of off to the side was this idea that this has been an incredibly methodical yep. day-to-day rollout, heavy on social media. Anybody who follows you or the league on Twitter knows that you're there every day. You have rolled out basically a city per week up until this point. Yep. How does that happen behind the scenes? Is that you? Is that Mike? How did you go about kind of setting that up
5: yeah well i I think at large when we look at our business we have a a media team which works with pete Bavakwa, who's here and and nbc as our broadcast partner they also look at our original programming strategy our player focused features our our league and teams on social and digital that's its own business Mm -hmm. we have a corporate partnership team which is essentially business development and how we're attracting endemic and non-endemic sponsors. We have our ticket and product team. We have our merchandise team, a youth team. So when we talk about all the work, we have these six business units and our community efforts uh, that are uh, cross-pollinating and and integrating strategies, but also working top-down within those business units. That's day-to-day. When we think about sports at a meta-level, um, it's a trade on attention mm-hmm. um, and, and, and a revenue business. So our trade on attention is essentially daily with new social media, digital, and our partners at NBC. How are we storytelling? And And in that case that you had mentioned, Jason, a weekly, and in some cases daily, list of calendar announcements. Um, I I think keeps people interested, but Mm -hmm. also drips a level of excitement and demand. I know people don't like talking about business at the dinner table, but when it comes
3: (laughs) to athletes, we have to get paid, and we talked about this the yeah. last time about uh, the payment for a lacrosse player. It's like, can you expand more into that, and and maybe some of the trials and tribulations that you
5: that you went through? No doubt. So when I graduated in 2008 from Johns Hopkins, um, and shout out to to Mr. Bloomberg, uh, who's <laughs> here, um, I actually had a job as a junior analyst uh, for a real estate company in DC, and I was also the first overall pick in pro lacrosse. Um, my rookie wage was $6,000 for the season, not for a game. Um, And the average wage had been that for its existence of the league at $8,000. And so as we've seen sports continue to elevate, uh, it's very clear that athletes are your most powerful asset, from the NBA to quarterbacks in the NFL um, to the women's soccer stars. Um, And so to be able to invest in those assets is what makes any company successful. So when Mike and I built this business model, at at the first level was how are we comping our athletes? What are some challenges that they face? All right, so we increase cash compensation. We give them access to healthcare because a short eight months later in real estate, I decided to take a plunge in pro lacrosse and I had to figure out how to pay for my own health insurance. So we're giving our players who are full-time that access. And then most importantly and uniquely to other team sports in, in the US is that our players have equity in the business so we view ourselves and we are a true single entity business so like an early stage silicon valley company uh you look at your cap table and you have an employee segment that's carved out and we view our our athletes as uh, part of that early stage um level of of uh of importance and growth so we've designated a portion of our cap table to stock options for our players
2: gotta ask you because this has been it feels like success on success since you announced but What's the biggest mistake or, or the biggest disappointment that you've had so far?
5: That's a, that's a great question. So uh, every day, I would say we are uh, we are working to continue to bring on great people, mm-hmm. and it's very challenging in sports. Because uh, if you're a if you're not the NBA or you're not the NFL and we're and we want to attract NBA NFL executive talent, well, we have to go sell our vision like I'm selling you guys right now uh, on a daily basis. So you I sold would say, me. so. Our, so part <laughs> of our challenge uh, as executives is operating and then being able to create task forces for every job that we post. Online and that requires a a candidate who's going through a screen and informational interview a focus interview meeting with us in person Um, Because in a sports league different from that early stage technology company. We have to scale labor quickly Uh, Technology companies raise their series a and series B and they build out a sales team to pour lighter fluid on product market fit,
2: right? Paul Rabel, he is the founder of the Premier Lacrosse League, coming to a stadium near you uh, this summer. Thank you so much. Always good to catch up with you. And Michael Barr, this has been so much fun.
3: What happened? You know, know. it was fun because I didn't even eat because
2: this blew by. All right. We're going to get you some food now. You've been listening to a special Bloomberg Business of Sports Summit from Bloomberg Radio.